You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. All right, so I'm having a particularly cool moment right now. Right now as I record this. I'm sitting in my studio, uh, which is a commercial space that... I lease that we built and put together for a podcast slash music studio uh, in Seattle, Washington. I've got really cool mood lighting in here. I'm very comfortable. I'm in this giant building. I'm the only one here by myself. I'm talking into my microphone that I love so much that people always ask me about. It's an SM7B um, for those of you who always ask. And I feel like Fraser Crane sitting in the studio, you know, that scene, those scenes where he's just talking into a microphone by himself. And I do sit here with the knowledge that tens of thousands of people are going to listen to the words that I'm saying in the episode that I'm making here. And that's, it's insane. It's, it's very lucky. It's very fortunate. I'm very happy about that. Um, and the reason I'm in Seattle in the first place is because I left South Carolina to try to become a guitarist in a band. And that happened and that worked uh and that and that's a very fortunate and very lucky thing and then i got into recording recording bands learning how music worked and figured that out so i've been recording and producing and engineering for a while and then particularly at this time i'm kind of obsessed with podcasting and at this point in my career i make the bulk of my income doing podcasting which is uh the simplest coolest and most native thing possible is talking to people. Um, but it is weird to, to sit here and do it by yourself knowing that other people are going to hear it. But I want to, you know, share that with you guys. I have a very, very cool job and life. I know it's not the best out there, but I'm very, very happy with it. And people ask me a lot for advice. And uh, I guess because they're maybe they're envious of the things that I get to do. I don't think envious is the right word. I think people just... Uh, you know, we're filled with the culture of people that are aspiring to do their creative thing. People are less content than they've ever been working regular jobs or working for other people. And at the same time, we have probably more income and economic wealth than we've ever had. And it's possible, it's possible to do these other types of things for careers and for living. Um, and so, yeah, I do get, I do a ton of phone calls every week about people that are interested in podcasting. And I get tons of demos every week from bands and music and people asking for advice or sharing their music with me, to which I'm honored and flattered and I try to do the best I can to help people, um, even though I don't necessarily necessarily think I hold the keys. But I'm very happy to t- that I get to talk and, and share my thoughts uh, with other people. And that's what this episode is about. This episode is a, a band breakdown. It's the second time I've done this. So I'm going to take some music that people have sent me and some questions they have about it. I'm going to do my best to help and maybe give these guys some point pointers, tips, and some exposure for their art and their creative stuff that they're really working hard on, which I appreciate very much. And I think it's helpful 
for me to think about these things and analyze them. And I think it will be helpful to you because I know this audience is full of people who have creative endeavors that they're aspiring to do. And I think the principles hold for a lot of these things. So hope you enjoy it. It's also incredibly cool that, uh, This has helped me to monetize this podcast and to make a living. These bands have, in fact, paid me to be on the show and to give them what you know, whatever it is that's going to happen here. They've paid for it, just so you know. And if anybody else is interested in this and likes this, you can have the same opportunity. If you email, you can email me or us at breakitdownpod at gmail dot com, and we'll we'll figure we'll work it out. We'll do the we'll do the same thing again. And I feel good about it because it was just an idea I had, and we tried it out. And the last time we did this band breakdown number one, it got more downloads than a normal episode does. So that is a big relief to me that it's both enjoyable, helpful, and you know actually put some money in my pocket, which I'm not ashamed of, and in fact quite proud of. And uh, speaking of putting money in my pocket, you can go to my website, breakitdownpod.com and click through the Amazon link, do your shopping, anything you buy there, Christmas presents, office supplies, whatever it is. And uh, that, that'll support the show as well. And uh, we have some sponsors coming on each, you know, as, as time goes on, the downloads are getting better and better and more and more sponsors will come. And I thank you guys for celebrating that and being happy for me about that. I won't spam you guys too much. Okay, so let's get to it. Band breakdown number two. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Let's make Yeah. Okie dokie. First up on the docket today is a band called Astral Planes, uh, and it's uh, sent in by a guy named Zach. The song we're going to listen to and analyze first is called The World Is Not Enough. And I tell you what you ought to do. Just sit back, listen to the song, uh, maybe go over to their Facebook or find them on Bandcamp and, you know, see what you think about it and get a, get some context while you're listening to the song. Astral Plains Co. Astral Plains Co. That's a Twitter handle. Uh, that's what they are at Bandcamp, Facebook.com, Astral Plains Co. Uh Let's sit here for a minute and listen to the song The World's Not Enough and then we'll discuss it. Here we go. Sometimes life won't cut you break It'll throw you in the river Wash you away Out of the water And into the flame Cast the first stone If you never made a mistake Step from the darkness And into the light Sleep all comes soon So just close your eyes Sometimes it feels like you can't get away Lord, never meant for these birds to be caged Don't buy what they're selling That facade will decay I love you for you So don't change a thing Before dawn 
right, that's Astral Planes. Go like his Facebook page. Go tweet him. Go tell him that you heard them on this podcast. I will appreciate that, and they will too. Um, okay, so let's talk about this track a little bit. I'll start with with a negative thing, and that is that um, I've got a, some positive stuff to say for sure, but the thing I want to get out of the way is as soon as this track came on, it is so damn loud. Uh <laughs> And I'm, I would go so far as to say somewhere between the uh, recording, mixing, and mastering, it's almost ruined for me because of how loud it is. The whole song is intended to be a build. I understand that. Uh, and it gets really loud by the end, but it starts fully loud. So just right there where the guitar enters and then the vocals enter, it's already hitting my meters and the stuff is yellow and red, even when it's just barely beginning and that and I can analyze that technically but just perceptually it just crushes my ears from the very beginning and it's kind of defeats the effect of having the song build or or go anywhere and that's that really is too bad because I have some positive stuff to say about this and that is I'll tell you what the really good news about this is Zach assuming Zach is the singer um Zach's a really really good singer and I think that he has some real potential and um that's not to diminish what he's doing here and, and the music or the song, but I really believe that he's got a... Uh, I'm going to take a question from Zach in a little bit here too, but I, I, I want to make sure to point out what jumps out at me. And it's not the music or the chords or anything. and It's just too bad about the recording that it is the way it is there. But uh, I like Zach singing. I'm going to give you a couple examples. He has a, a, a big tool belt of what he does with his voice. He's got really good control of it. Um, and I'm going to give you a couple examples. So here's the first thing that he does really well. He has this little squeak in his voice, and it's it's very attractive. I think it's it shows uh, control and character and ca- kind of chaos. And a lot of good singers have this. So here's a here's here's an example of what I'm talking about. This thing this is a really neat thing in his voice. So listen to the word "come" here. I, th- I think it's "sleep will come soon" or something like that. But listen to the word "come" here. It's really interesting. And also a nice little uh, vibrato on the word soon there. Uh, That's a neat trick in his tool bag that he's certainly aware that he has. So, um, okay, here's another one. Here's another trick that he has. He has this little falsetto that he uses, which is a whole nother thing that is, uh, again, it it just shows his versatility. So let's check out how he handles this. And that's pretty emotive. I mean, that really that takes a little bit of, of commitment and uh, confidence to be able to, to to go really light there or whatever that is and pull it off. And so, very good on that. That's all that stuff is character, really, and, and versatility. And so, and then the opposite of that falsetto is he has a really strong, aggressive, screamy thing that still maintains the pitch. And here's an example of that right here. Don't sweat the 
So that's the kind of character that, that you're kind of looking for when you're working with a singer and so many bands and amateurs and up-and-coming people. They put all this music together and it's super intricate and all this stuff, and then the vocals are just, they don't have any balls, they don't have any guts, they're never vulnerable. Uh, and vulnerable is a good word for it. So the falsetto and that squeaky thing in there, that's vulnerability. And screaming, all three of those are, are vulnerable qualities and character in a voice. And that will take somebody very far in the long run if they stick to it, regardless of this song or the next song or this recording or where he's at. This bodes really well for Zach um, for his total future career that he already has those those things in place. Uh, just that he has the, that, that vocal quality alone makes me very optimistic about Zach and his career. Uh, I got a question from Zach. This is something new that I'm doing, and I've got questions from the, the people that submitted these songs that I'll address directly. So here's Zach himself. Hey, Matt. This is Zach Kane from Astral Plans. I want to know how you would try to grow a band if you had no connections and little catalog in 2017. Do you think that the same methods that you used in the early 2000s with Emery are still applicable now? No. <laughs> oh my gosh, no. No, they're not applicable. Uh, the things that would work now, or, or the things that worked then, flatly wouldn't work now. We used to call uh, venues and across the country and tell them stuff like, we've played with a band that was on a label. Can we play at your club in Louisiana? And we'd get yes sometimes on that. We And there was, you know... Just to be a real band that had gear and a trailer and could get to another town was almost enough to, to, to be noticed or to drive to a record label or do something obnoxious. Um, you could get you could get noticed then, and there was a lot less bands, and the communication was difficult. So if you could just communicate with somebody, um, you were you were on the right train. Now the communication is completely ubiquitous. You can meet anybody. You can talk to anybody and everybody has a band and it's not impressive. So. For instance, uh, <laughs> I mean, back then if people would ask us, they say, wait, y'all have a CD? Like your music's on CD? Or, you know, kind of thing. And and now everybody's expected to have a high quality and it's not, it means nothing to have a high quality recording or be able to stream something or send somebody something or demonstrate something. So yeah, it's not the same at all. Today it's like even having a good recording and having good music is it's, it's not going to be enough. It, it really isn't. There has to be a story attached to it and that's I don't know how to do that uh, I'm fortunate to have started in a less competitive time but today uh, here's what I recommend have sex with a Kardashian that's and maybe play your music in the background on the sex tape that's probably uh, that's an extreme example and a, a facetious one maybe but that that's closer to what would work today than than, than what we were doing at the time but the point is it, you need to have a story you need to be it needs to be oh that's the guy who this or the band that something there's got to be something more to it than simply what the music is uh, because uh, is both a good thing and a bad thing that music is so accessible and possible for everybody to create. So I'm not going to complain about that, but I, but I am saying it's for sure harder than anybody ever. Uh, uh, it's, it's harder now than it has ever been to, to get noticed, of course, and everybody knows that. Um, the other thing that I would say that's valuable today is to be highly stylized or, or niche. So uh, uh, niche works in business and in music and art because it, you can speak to very specific people. So the stronger and more detailed your style is, 
and the more focused it is instead of broad, let's say, um, the better off you're going to be because you can just uh, cater to or be noticed by a very focused group of people. Um, those are, you know, there's no, there, there are no real solutions to it. And those who are both good, hardworking and lucky will be the ones that succeed, uh, and talented, of course. Uh, and I am identifying Zach that you definitely have some vocal talent. Don't give up, stick to it, find out the best way to, to really create something with what you have with, with what your strengths are and, uh, good luck to you. That's what, that's what I can tell you. Okay, moving on to the next one. This band is called The Thought Life, and the song is called Revelation. Uh, you can go to facebook.com slash thoughtlifemusic. Please go like their page. Um, find them. Send them a message. Tell them you heard their music here. So this song again, here we go. Listen to this. Navigate to them. Absorb this song with me, and we'll discuss this one afterwards. It's called Revelation.
right. So let's let me react to some stuff there. I wrote down some notes when I was listening to the track uh, that time. Um, very interesting. Highly, uh, I think there's some interesting style and some stuff here that I I don't hear uh, in a lot of bands. It's it's almost uh, I don't know if it's fun or funny or silly or cool. It, it makes me question it a little bit, which is almost always a good thing. But the thing that freaks me out right off the bat is some of that drum, the drum sound, and the inhuman. Uh, programming and editing that is in here. And so I'm not going to judge that immediately. I'm processing it as I hear it. It's very interesting, but it's uh, very robotic. There's some really choppy edits in the in the guitar parts. It's not something that somebody could play, and those drum parts are so fast. Uh, and I imagine this is these are sequenced or sampled or programmed drums in, in some sense, uh, and they're kind of inhuman. But maybe that's kind of what you're going for there, which is maybe kind of cool. So I have a thing right now going on with me where I'm kind of reactive to the fact that uh, produced, very produced, overproduced music is possible even at, at uh, even, even for, for everybody. It's, it's very accessible to be able to produce something and edit it and chop it up. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. I personally ha- feel like uh, I would like to do stuff that's less edited and more natural with more mistakes and flaws in it. But on the other hand, some of that drum and guitar editing stuff is so obnoxious that it's obviously uh, intentional and part of the art itself. So I'm not going to knock it. Um, it's a taste thing, but it's kind of interesting, a little bit inhuman. Um, but again, I think that may be the, the kind of thing that you're going for there. Uh, the other thing, there's a, something that comes to mind here. I get it, this from Jamie Josta, who, who's from Hatebreed and does a podcast, but I'm afraid I'm afraid we might have to call the lyric police on a couple of these lines, too. Um, I call in that time, I wrote down last goodbye and searching for answers. Where They're a little overdramatic uh, lyrically. I think you could dig a little bit deeper and be a little bit uh, more... Uh, original or true lyrically. But overall, kind of an interesting song. Great sounding recording. I think that, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm buying it. I really am. I think it's, it's some cool stuff. So let's take a question now. I've got a question from a band member named Nick. Let's see what he's got to say. Drummer, percussionist, and I also do some backing vocals in the band. Thanks so much for the opportunity to be on the Break It Down podcast, and thanks for your time. We are an independent band, and we're not necessarily looking for any label support at the moment. What is one thing from your experience that you would recommend us avoiding? All right, Nick, thanks for your question. You have a surprisingly uh, human-sounding voice for a drummer that clearly has a cybernetic arms and legs or is, you know, something <laughs> something along those lines. Uh, sorry, I couldn't resist that that joke there. Um, so as far as something to avoid, if you are going to avoid the traditional label type, uh, route, uh, there's a lot of stuff there. It's not just label that people are thwarting these days. It's, uh, your, your big questions are, are you going to build a team and what would that team be? So a label is part of a team and you may or may not need a label. Totally. Uh, I think that's a, not necessarily a, a dumb move, maybe a wise one to avoid labels. 
do you need a manager? Are you going to get a booking agent? Are you going to put together a business manager? Are you going to like what? What are the who are the people that are, you're going to put in place to get your band where it needs to be? And can do you have access to people that believe in your band that that can? So don't let it be a situation where it's hard to get on a label. It's hard to get a manager. It's hard to do those things. So we're going to avoid it uh, and make our own way. That that can work, but. That can only work if you yourselves possess the skills to manage your business, uh, to do booking, to figure out metrics, to know how to analyze stuff, to network, to get relationships, to figure out how to craft your story of your band, do your press. I mean, you, you can't do everything yourself, I guess, is my point. So what I would avoid is being so obstinate and DIY that you think you don't need anybody. So, you know, maybe your girlfriend does photography or maybe you can make your own videos. Uh, there, there's no such thing as doing everything DIY. So it's really a matter of choosing the things that you actually believe that you can do on a high level, uh, the opportunities that you have in front of you and, uh, and, and putting all that stuff together and, and, I tell you what else I would avoid is, uh, and I don't get the sense from what I'm seeing on you, your guys' Facebook page and website, but you also want to avoid the trap of there's one guy in the band that does all the work. Uh, it, it, the more DIY you are, the more your band is going to be a unit, the more you're going to need to make sure everybody is, uh, I guess, pulling their weight, essentially, is some is a, a really a, a really big thing uh, to consider. Now, with that being said, I do have specific problems with most labels, most managers, most agents, and, and people that, that would be on your team. So here's what I think new bands need. You need to find and align with people that believe in your band. If they're professional and they do have more experience than you, it doesn't matter if it's a label, agent, or manager. If you find people that are interested in your band, um, you may need to give them maybe more than... You might need to give them, let's say, 15% of gross. Like, that's not terrible for a, a new band, an up-and-coming band, to get somewhere. What you need to avoid is any type of contract uh, that is uh, inescapable or ultra-long-term. And I really believe, if there's somebody that really believes in your band, you should be able to do something on a handshake or some kind of contract that, that leaves a lot of room for renegotiation and uh, being able to change the terms of it over time. So maybe you do lock into a year deal or a two-year deal or one or two record deal with a label. If you have those opportunities, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be totally averse to them. You should embrace them if people believe in your band, but you need to be able to use that, utilize that, and then when you are on stronger footing, you need to be able to take the power and control back because you probably have some stuff to learn about the industry and could use some help, but you, you just got to be very careful not to sign away um, long, super long-term lockdown stuff for both your art, intellectual property, 
you know, time. And, you know, that that's the kind of stuff you have to really watch out for is like, what is the out if this doesn't work out? Or what is the terms that we can rene- renegotiate if we reach a certain level? Um, that's, that's the thing I would look out for and, and avoid. Uh, anybody that really wants to add value to you and your band or your organization should also be willing to be flexible in time as, as uh, things change. So you should be willing to give up a little bit early on, um, knowing that you could, with some success, regain some control and have more experience down the road. All right, and let me repeat that that band is called The Thought Life. Their song is called Revelations. They have a new video for it. The video looks really good. You can find it on YouTube. You can go to thethoughtlife.com. You can find them on Facebook. The URL there is uh, facebook.com slash thoughtlifemusic. Thank you guys for being on the Break It Down podcast. Uh, Keep me updated, and I really appreciate it. Okay, so let's move on into the next band for today. This band is called... Uh, Signs of a Slumbering Beast. And we're going to listen to a song from them called The Fading Truth. Here's the song. Your actions are calling you right back to your mysterious responsibility. Responsibilities.
Hey Matt, my first question for you is how do you implement the musical modes in your writing? And do you ever intentionally alter the harmonic function of a song with a musical mode to kind of lead it into a different place or change the feel? Holy shit, that's a good question. That's like my favorite question that I've <laughs> it's that's one of my favorite questions I've ever gotten for sure. Musical modes, I dig it. Okay, so let me make sure that I point everybody, uh, Chris, who asked that question. Thank you uh, to your music. Still, it's Signs of a Slumbering Beast. You can go to Facebook.com/slash Signs of a Slumbering Beast. Find his music, check him out. We got a music theory guy, ladies and gentlemen, which is. So fun. So fun for me. So let me try to answer your question about musical modes. I like your song, by the way. Great recording. Keep it up. Good work there. So musical modes and how do I use them? Um, all right. So let me see if I can explain what musical modes are really quickly to the to the people that, that don't get that. So most people I'm going to imagine that are musicians are familiar with at least the major scale. So in the major scale, we'll take the example of C major. It's all the white keys on the piano. So if you take all those white keys on the piano, but you focused them, um, if you started on the note A and played A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A, uh, and built some chords around that, it would feel like you were in the key of A minor, which is identical to the key of C major. There's no sharps or flats in A minor. It's a very, uh, it's just the darker, you know, minor feeling, but it's the same key, same key signature as C major, but your ear winds up focusing on A minor and feeling like that's the home base. Uh, so the A minor is essentially a mode of C major, and specifically it's called the Aeolian mode. It's the most common mode, and a mode is any time that your ear is focused on a note as a home base that's other than the, the, the key that you're in, which would be C in this case. So the modes um, are real common to guitar players. They use them as scales and practices and stuff like that, but I'll, I'll tell you a few of them, maybe some of the terminology is familiar. Uh, Aeolian, uh, Dorian starts on the two uh, Phrygian, Lydian, sounds like a movie soundtrack. It's a mode that built on the fourth scale degree. Uh, Mixolydian, Aeolian, which is the same as, uh, uh, which is the same as the natural minor. And then uh, this, the one built on the seventh degree is uh, Locrian is the name of that mode. So in any case, modes are, uh, they're really interesting. They're different focuses other than the normal home base key that you're in. So uh, a story I use about this is Jeremy Enick, Jeremy Enick from uh, Sunny Day Real Estate told Aaron Sprinkle, and then Aaron Sprinkle told me, he said that he always gets weirded out if you use the the one chord or the home key um, as the starting point, or or he he, he says he tries to kind of avoid the chord that the that is the 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 main home base tonic chord that the song is in. So if you're in G major, if you're playing a song in G major, Jeremy Enoch says he tries to never use a G major, <laughs> basically, because it makes him feel uncomfortable because it's like cheesy. And that and I identify with that feeling a lot. Um, it's almost too predictable. So it's a common thing, and I, I hear it more and more, and you'll notice it if you pay attention. There's a lot of songs where at least whole sections of the song or the whole song itself will kind of avoid the main uh, the main chord 
in the key because it almost feels too comfortable or too cheesy or too overdone or too safe. And so that's kind of a, a usually that winds up with the song feeling like the it's focused in, in a mode. So that that's one way to look at it. And modes are like a relief from the normal key that you're in. So yes, I think it's always smart to, to do something if you can if you can get away with a mode, if you can make the two chord sound like the one chord, which would be the Dorian mode, uh, the song Green Sleeves and its traditional uh, melodic function is that. Uh, it's it's a uh, if you can get away with that, if you can tonicize or make somebody feel something other than the one chord as the key that you're in, then you've done a good job. I mean, that that's a neat thing, uh, and it stands out. So for sure, that's worth trying and something that I try to do a lot. Thank you for that question. Very cool. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and give you another question there, Chris. What are your thoughts and potential tips regarding the one-man band and the challenges that come with marketing something that usually has an entire band behind it? Well... I'll tell you what, whatever challenges there are to a one-man band uh, marketing or what you do in a photo shoot, I think that there's some, uh, there's, <laughs> how about this, there's pros and cons to it for sure. So the, the biggest con to being a one-man band is not marketing or your photo shoot or how you present it. That actually can be pretty cool. Uh, but the problem is you're not necessarily collaborating with people. And I advocate for collaboration um, as somebody that tends to want to be a control freak and likes to go be by himself to figure out how to arrange the bass parts and the drum parts. Um, that's a fun thing, but I, I mean, it, it's good to challenge yourself and you, you're almost never disappointed if you can find people to collaborate with. So that's what you're probably missing out a lot on is that co-creating uh, thing. And I think that's not only in music, just in relationships in general. I just don't think we're meant to or it works out as good for us in isolation. So if I, for instance, if I write and record music and then I play it back for somebody else, just them sitting in the room listening to the song I'm playing for them, I all of a sudden hear it differently and I start wanting to apologize for this or explain that and I see them react to some, you know, something in the song and, and all of a sudden it's this, uh, this whole other thing happens. Even when I'm playing back music for other people, um, I feel vulnerable when I play first time I play back music that I've done by myself or another person. And I think you're better to get that stuff out of the way and try to force yourself to collaborate with people. Maybe a producer is fine to do most of your stuff yourself, but I think you are not getting even the full. I think it's not a zero sum game is what I'm saying. And to do something by yourself, you're, you're probably cheating yourself a little bit because there's probably more of you that can be brought out by the right uh, partner. Maybe it's a producer, a consultant, something. So for sure, that's the biggest downside of doing anything by yourself. Um, the but but let's look at the upside for a minute. If you cannot start one of those bands where it's five dudes and everybody splits everything, in this day and age, you're you're way better off to figure out how to uh, earn money, uh, stay motivated. You know, you don't have accountability problems or people pulling their weight problems. Um, if you know you've written all the music and co can collect the revenue there, and it's not all about money, but it, but you know, things need to be evenly matched. So on the other hand, when a band has five or six guys and they all split everything, responsibilities, everything, it never really works out 
that way. That's not really that realistic. And there's always problems. Uh, a pure democracy is a difficult thing in anything. It's, it's, I guess it's difficult no matter what. And especially in something creative or running a business, pure democracies and even splits of everything is not very realistic or practical. So if the trick is to find a balance between you being a master creator that can do multiple things, but also recognizing where you could collaborate and where you could spend more and give more and um, uh, maybe give up control more in order to gain on, on the whole as net is a very, uh, a very important thing to balance. And I've, I've gone back and forth on that and I've, uh, I, you know, I've, I've made mistakes on both sides of that spectrum, but for sure, no, no man's an island, and that's not that's not it's not even really a satisfying way to go through is being a one man anything. So figure out who your collaborators are in in, in both business and art and and life, uh, and you'll be a happier person. And make sure it's not coming out of a place of well, I just want to control it, or I just want to show off, or I just want to say that I'm the one that did everything. Make sure it's not coming from that place. But on the other hand, don't give up stuff that you when you know what it is that you want and you know how to accomplish it, you know, by all means, uh, you know, retain, retain what it is that, that is the right amount of that. And then that's probably all I've got to say about that, but good luck to you. Uh, again, that's signs of a slumbering beast. Chris, thank you for your excellent questions and thank you for your contribution to the show here. Um, let's move on to the next one. The next band, the last band that we have here is called the quick and the dead and they're an Aussie band. They're from Australia. Uh, the song we're about to listen to right here is simply called Chapter One. Uh, you can go to their Facebook page while you're listening to it. It's facebook.com, the quick in the, quick in the dead, like uh, the letter N. And their website's www.thequickinthedead.com.
Hey Matt, this is Reese from The Quick and the Dead uh, in Australia. We just released an album, and it's not a concept album, but it's got four songs scattered through it that tell a bit of a Western story. They're called Chapter 1, Chapter 2, Chapter 3, and Chapter 4. I was just wondering what you think about concept albums. Do you think they've been overdone, or do you think there's still room to experiment and uh, do that in a new way? Okay, Reese. Now... Let me start by just telling you, I, I enjoy hearing you talk and your accent, and all my listeners do too. The weirdest, craziest thing is, I'm from South Carolina, I've got a southern accent, everybody knows that. When I'm in Seattle, and this is true, I'll go to Starbucks, and people will say, whoa, you have an accent, where are you from, Australia? Yeah, for real. They'll say I'm from, they'll suggest or question if I'm from Australia based on my accent. I don't think I sound anything like you. Or they'll say maybe I'm from England and I've often gotten South Africa. Uh, <laughs> am I from South Africa when I order my coffee uh, or, or something at customer service and I just go, man, I'm from your same country, just the part of it that you don't ever visit or go to and is only portrayed as real morons in movies. But no, I'm from from your country. But anyway, The Quick and the Dead from Australia. Glad to have you on the show. Really interesting song. I, I, I tend to find that from in, in international stuff, Europe or Australia, the instrumentation and the vibe and the tone of the music is it usually comes across quite different. I mean, you got a banjo there and some uh, more, uh, I guess, ballsier lead guitar kind of stuff that you, that you don't hear that much. And it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. So let me get to both of your questions there. The first one is is about concept albums. You said your album is not a concept album, but you do have four songs tied together, chapter one, two, three, and four, um, spread out through the album. Is our concept albums overdone? And the answer to that is, mm, well, maybe yes and no. Now, the problem with concept albums, and uh, this is a little bit of a personal philosophy and, and just something I've kind of picked up, or, or I think at the time, the reason concept albums can be frowned upon or fail or not do that well sometimes is because there's a little bit of a gap in a casual listener and somebody who um, can digest music or cares about it enough to pay attention and get all the connections. And when you advertise an album as a concept album, and when you lead with that, and when you tell people this is a concept album, it can come across as self-important um, in a way that only connects with a very small amount of your fans. So think of it this way. Think of how many bands that you know a song or two that you kind of like. That's a very positive feeling like, oh yeah, I like that ACDC song or I like that uh, Coheed and Cambria song. Uh, you really don't give a shit if it's from a concept record. It's just a song that you like. And so 
if if the whole thing banks on the fact that the record is a concept album, well, what you've essentially said is in order to get this, you need to spend an hour with it times however many times you have to listen to it to make the connections. It's a really deep dive. And, and so when people have a concept album, they really tend to talk about it a lot and lead with that, which isn't really good marketing or press or advertising. You're just telling somebody, if you work really hard, you can get something out of the thing I'm making for you. And it's totally opposed to the the place we're in where people can just, you know, like a song or you have to hook somebody in 30 seconds a lot of times or 15 seconds on a Facebook video. So concept albums, if presented wrong, can really backfire on artists. I've seen it a lot of times um, because it's so front of mind for the artist because that's what they put so much stuff into and all the connections and all that stuff, but it can easily be lost on your casual fan. Now, the math would tell you your casual fan is the largest amount of fans you'd have. So if you've got 100,000 fans, 80,000 of them are people like, yeah, I like it. I'm not really sure what, yeah, I kind of know the band and I like it. I dig it. I'm streaming it. I'll, yeah, I don't know. I'll buy it. I'll listen to it. I'll talk about it, but I'm not that into it where I know all the stuff about it, you see. And so only 10, 20% of your fans are, are the ones that are going to get the value out of that. On the contrary, though, those 10% or 20% of fans that get the concept, that follow what you do, that pay attention to your interviews, that read the liner notes, that read all the lyrics, my gosh, how valuable is it to, to have something that you casually listen to and get deeper and deeper into it and the payoff is better and better and better. And so I'm not against concept records, but they can come across pretentious and they can be a waste in a sense. But the more deep connections and thought that is into your art and your album, it will pay off. I just don't find it the best thing to advertise or lead with. So again, that's The Quick and the Dead. Before that, Signs of a Slumbering Beast. Before that, The Thought Life. And before that, very first was Astral Planes. Thank you guys for making the episode today. I hope everybody's having a good holiday, Christmas season. And I will see you guys next week. Don't forget to go to my website, breakitdownpod.com. Click through my Amazon link. Please share the show with a friend. Tell people about it. Um, I'm having a great time doing it, and I'm, it's super cool to me to be engaged with a, a community of people that like music, technical stuff, fun stuff, and don't mind hearing me talk here and there, or maybe for hours. Anyway, thank you guys. Talk to you soon. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hello. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. 
Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.